0: Now it's time to put it all on the table through mediation. Your host Teresa E. Keeves is a professional mediator here to educate, inform, enlighten and inspire everyone about the great benefits in the process of professional mediation to resolve conflicts, disagreements and disputes relating to business or personal matters. Now here's your host Teresa E. Keeves.
1: Good morning, good morning everyone. Thank you for tuning into my show, Put It All on the Table Through Mediation. I am your host, Teresa E. Keeves. I'm coming to you from beautiful Arizona where our temperatures are going to be a high of 73 and um, it's going to be cooling down. And um, although it's a bit warmer than I would like it to be, and some of you are probably saying, say what? Can we change places? Okay, well, here, I have a question for you. Listen, I have not yet completed my Christmas shopping. Have you out there completed your shopping? Well, for me, and this is every year, I'm out there Christmas Eve, you know, shopping last minute and all. But look, let's get real. Obviously, I must enjoy it, being out there Christmas Eve shopping in the stores and all, seeing what last minute sale items I can acquire. And I say every year that next year, I'm going to start purchasing items I see that I like, and then store them away for Christmas, right? Nope, it never happens. I bet a lot of you out there shop early and are done with it, but I bet there are a lot of you out there also that are just like me who shop up until the last minute on Christmas Eve. Trust me, it, it it's okay. I will tell you that, you know, I, I've discussed this with you before, that Christmas Eve is my most favorite time of the year. Uh, for me, it's a beautiful time, it's spiritual, and as I remember what Christmas is really all about, which is the birth of our Lord, being kind to yourself and others, you know, and it's, it's a magical and joyous time of the year, particularly for children. It, it is so much fun for them, you know, particularly, you know, those that believe in Santa Claus, you know, they're being, all happy as they see that they receive what they told Santa Claus they wanted yeah right Santa Claus aka parents as they sat on this knee at the shopping mall and um and then we are the parents you know we're taking lots of pictures so we can have all of this to uh remember in time christmas is spending time with family and friends and helping those who are less fortunate than ourselves and it's time for us to take a breather to slow it down a bit from going at it so strong all year through. You know, let's de-stress as much as possible and enjoy this beautiful time of the year. Okay. Should you have any questions or comments about today's show or shows in the past, please give me a call at one eight 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 go FOR IT or one 463 6748 You can also email me at Teresa at Mediation Talk Show Dot .com and once again Teresa is spelled T H E R E S A and if you are a member of LinkedIn you could just put my name up there in the in the um in the little window box and you can contact me there okay let's get into it today's topic is called your biases do you check them at the door when mediating i want to say first and foremost that it is vital and important to be mindful of your biases, to be honest with yourself and knowing that we all have biases, whether they are against others for varying reasons, that more times than than not we have no proof of such. We basically are accepting someone else's views or what we were taught and or what we saw as we were growing up as we were being raised by our parents or grandparents and being taught by our teachers, for example, that greatly influenced our beliefs. Then, as we are maturing, we incorporate the beliefs we saw and or were taught and start forming our own belief system in conjunction to what we have already learned. And then, when we have children, for example, we do the same thing that was done to us. It's a cyclical movement. In a 2005 article titled Bias in Mediation by Anna Schofield, she states in part that for mediators to maintain an unbiased perspective, especially in the heat of mediation, it is challenging. Biases stem from values developed by connections to culture, identity, race, ethnicity, territory, and religious beliefs. Here's an example of a biased behavior. I had a tenant landlord mediation in justice court recently where the plaintiff attended with his partner. The plaintiff was transgender. The definition of transgender is as follows. Transgender is the state of one's gender identity or gender expression, not matching, not matching one's assigned sex. Okay. On the defendant's side in attendance were the apartment manager representing the complex owners, their lawyer, and one maintenance personnel. The defendants were there on time for the mediation. As a matter of fact, they were about 15 minutes early, which is fine, because as we know, for mediators, we do like for our uh, disputants to arrive early so that, you know, people can relax, because particularly those who have never been into a mediation session. Although for me, when I'm mediating personally in my business and or with the justice courts, I do not invite them into the room. Not yet. However, there was no site for the plaintiff. So I waited and waited for the plaintiff. I even called the clerk up in front to find out, <coughs> excuse me, if the plaintiff had checked in. And I did this twice as this person questioned her peers and reviewed the check-in roster for the plaintiff and defendants seemingly no one had a clue if he had arrived or not. And I just found that very strange. I personally got up and looked outside of my mediation room and there was no one there to be, you know, because in the justice court, they'll they'll ask you to sit outside in front of the door, there are chairs and, you know, for you to sit there so the mediator don't have to go and look for you. There was no one there. <clears throat> Excuse me. After the time limit, I give for litigants to appear, it ran out. So I started filling out the paperwork and gave copies to the defendants and they exited the room. Listen, not even two minutes later, the plaintiff come rushing into the room with his partner. I asked, may I help you? And the plaintiff gave his name and I said, you were supposed to be here 20 minutes ago. They both said, we were told to sit down the hall. The reason we are rushing into this room is because we recognize the manager and maintenance man. Okay, fast forwarding, I was able to get the defendants back into the court building and actually proceeded with the mediation. Unfortunately, there was no agreement as it was very emotional process for the plaintiff, and it was on its way to be assigned to a you know hearing and trial date. Here's my question for you. I'm at this court enough to know that the clerks are well aware of what the protocol is for various court procedures. They are well seasoned, let's say. So what was wrong with this scenario? The plaintiff was given wrong information from the beginning. All of my other cases I, I hear at that court previous and on that day were sitting right outside my mediation room. I say training needs to be done for the clerks, sensitivity, training, and awareness about the individuals that they have to and will be dealing with on a daily basis. I'd like to hear your point of view on this. Give me a call at one 463 6748 Now, I want to talk about something else. Tumultuous actions are becoming way too common in our country. Being biased or having prejudice is a hot topic in our news media right now particularly in wake of the continuum of incidents involving young men of color, involving police officers. Like the shooting of the young unarmed teenager in Ferguson and recently the man who life was taken in New York as he was being accused of selling Lucy's. This is what the New Yorkers refer to when one is selling cigarettes, not by the carton or package, but where they can be purchased one by one. Listen, it's a low-level crime. And as you know, the police officers in both cases were not punished. And this is what has now sparked a protest in a number of major cities in this country. My question is, could bias have played a part in the aforementioned? Checking our biases at the door or keeping them in check as professional mediators, seeking an amicable resolution for our disputants is very important. It is something that is extremely important as we are using all of our training, our education, and professional know-how to be open-minded throughout the mediation process, no matter what. We as professional mediators are there to assist individuals out of their disputes Their disagreements, their conflicts, with an attitude of neutrality, care, interest, and open mindedness that is to be maintained at all times on top of professionalism and decorum, regardless of who we are mediating. So I go back to my question What do you do what do you do with your biases as you are hearing in mediation? To help answer this question, I'm going to bring on my guest, Reginald Cedric Campbell. I am excited about this guest. I'm so excited. And here is why. Check out this gentleman's credentials. Okay, here we go. Are you ready? Hold on. He is a supervisor and administrator for a Braxis and GEO group in Illinois. He has a BA in Mass Communications and Liberal Arts. He is certified as a mental health professional, he is certified in child welfare caseworker. He is certified in trauma therapy. He is certified in bsm for Diagnostic Statistical Manual. He has 10 years of experience in dealing with the beginning, middle, and ending stages of HIV-AIDS. He has 20 years of psychological caseworker He's 20 years in juvenile court experience, and he's 20 years in client substance abuse issues. He is a member of the American Counseling Association and the Psychological Association. In May of 2015, he will have completed his master's in clinical mental health. And all I can say is you go with yourself. And one other fabulous thing about my guest he is my brother. Thank you, Reginald, for being on my show. It's greatly appreciated.
0: Hey, I'm glad to be here. You know, as, as you were reading all of that, I'm like, who's she talking about? That must be a really awesome guy. That she-
1: oh, my. <laughs> oh, my Why gosh. Can you turn your head around before you get to Indiana? <laughs> Listen, how are you this morning?
0: I'm great. I, I, I'm fantastic now. I just want to say one thing first. You were talking about um, uh, the weather. I'll, I'll be more than happy to change uh, the weather from here in Chicago with what you have there. It's like 27 degrees here. I'll be more than happy to switch with you.
1: Oh, okay. All right. Well, you're you're going to be migrating here soon, so you know you'll be able to to experience the the, the weather here in the desert. Okay. Absolutely. This, this, Yo, absolutely. Okay, let's let's get to it because we have uh, quite a bit uh, that we're going to be discussing. Okay.
2: Okay. All That's right.
1: Good. I have a question for you before we delve mm-hmm. into the actual topic, and that is, I would like for you to give a brief explanation of about what your job entails at Abraxis and GEO Group for our for our listeners. Uh,
0: my position, I'm a supervisor and an administrator. So um, Abraxas deals with clients um, in the beginning of substance abuse. We deal with adolescents. We deal with um, adults. We deal with uh, females. We deal with men. Um, my particular um, location, we deal with adolescents uh, from 14 to 18 years old. And mm-hmm. they're uh, dealing with substance abuse. There, mo- most of them are court mandated. The majority are court mandated. We have some that are self mandated. Um, okay, but the majority, majority usually self, uh, majority are court mandated because it may be their second or third time the justice listen, We'll give you an opportunity to go here for four months, work on your substance abuse issues, uh, work on your gang issues, work on your violent issues. And we'll see how that goes. And then you come back to court and that will determine if you will be released. If you, uh, if you don't complete, um, the program, uh, they could be sent back to juvie. Um, by the time of their 18th birthday, they can go to what we call big boy jail. Uh, so okay. Not, uh, juvenile. And that's definitely not, nothing to play with. Uh, so what I've had experience with, um, with, uh, adults as well. But right now, the facility that I work with, we deal, that's what we deal with. And we have 35 young men. 35 young men is, is, is a full house. And, okay. um, you know, so you're dealing with 35 personalities, different personalities. Uh, you're dealing with young men who are who have substance abuse. You're dealing with uh, different gang factions that are in there that can cause issues. Um, so it's, it's, it's a lot that can go on in one day.
1: Okay. All right. Now we're going to have to take a break here in a in about a couple of minutes. But uh, just quickly, you say that there are 35 young men in this house. Are there any women? Women or in?
0: No, my facility only oversee. deals with males. Yeah, I'm sorry. My facility only deals with males. We do have female staff, but our clients are are male. At the other facility, okay. uh, the larger facility, we have a female and male client. hmm Okay. Um, all right. And at the other facility, we deal with um, all age groups. My facility deals with the 14 to 18-year-olds. Old.
1: Okay, fantastic. All mm-hmm. right. We are going to take a, a quick break here, Reginald, and uh, when we come back, we're going to um, uh, rehash some of the uh, – we're going to rehash an experience that you and I shared together Four years ago, we're going to talk to talk, talk about it and clue our listeners in on it. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned. Do you have disagreements with your landlord regarding your home or apartment that you are renting? Or have you fallen behind in your HOA payments and you cannot reason with the HOA Association for resolution of your issues? I can assist you. My name is Teresa E. Keeves. I am an independent professional mediator. Give me a call at 480-283-7270. You do not have to litigate your disagreements. They can be professionally mediated. The process of professional mediation is an effective, efficient, timely, and less costly method for resolving your disputes. Give me a call today at 480-283-7270. And you can also email me at Teresa at MediationTalkShow.experts.
0: You're listening to Put It All
1: on the Table Through Mediation with Teresa E. Keeves. Okay, thank you for returning. Uh, We are talking with my guest, Reginald Campbell, here about we're going to be discussing about biases and do you check them at the door when mediating. Now, Reginald, a few years ago, I invited you Mm -hmm. to speak at at an event here in Arizona for the Arizona Association for Conflict Resolution at ASU's Sandra Day O'Connor facility. Now, Mm -hmm. the, the presentation was titled, The Importance of Mediating in Our Growing Diverse Society. Can you believe that was four years ago?
0: Wow. It seems like yesterday.
1: Yeah, September, as a as matter of fact, so it was a little bit over four years. But, okay, anyway, during during this mediation, we talked about the subject biases and the need to be sure to check yourself, to check your biases at the door, particularly when you are dealing with your clients. There isn't a peer out there who doesn't want to see an amicable resolution for the disputants. As you are not a mediator by profession, however – your audience was professional mediators and lawyers at this presentation. So my question is, why is this so important to check your biases at the door, Reginald?
0: It is so important because for social workers, case managers, therapists, and and mediators, um, you have to be aware of your biases because your biases can really negatively affect your client. Uh, The ACA, the American um, Counseling Association Code of Ethics, states that uh, case managers, social workers, therapists, um, our job is not to harm but to uh, work for the well-being of our clients. And as you stated earlier, we all have bias. We have to be aware of that. And if we don't take those biases at the door, If we're aware that we have a bias and we continue to work with that client, we can do a lot of harm, more harm than good, by working with that client.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because it seems to me that um, you're bringing in, you know, instead of being a a neutral, which is what um, ethically um, all of us mediators, that's just one of the things that, that we are to maintain at all times is neutrality, bringing in, um, you know, not knowing and, 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 and understanding and realizing that you have biases, um, uh, can absolutely curtail, um, the whole flow of the, outf- uh, of the, um, outcome of the mediation process and, you know, just, just destroy it. And so then therefore the individuals that we are mediating in front of, you know, have, um, it seems to me that it would be just a waste of their time, money, and effort if, if we don't appear in the manner that we're supposed to appear. It's very important, you know, that, that we're going to be there as a neutral guiding them with all of the information and, and things that we're supposed to uh, have and ethnic, you know, views and mannerisms. Mm -hmm. And then if we don't, we have biases, then it's like that 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 in itself can be uh, a destroyer.
0: Absolutely, because the client is coming to us for help. You know, the client, when he comes to a mediation, when he comes to a social worker or a therapist, they're coming to, and usually they're in crisis when they come. Most of them don't come because they uh, have a splinter in their finger. Normally there is some kind of crisis, and we can do so much damage not being aware of those, of those biases, and the client is expecting us to work with them. It's appropriate thing for um, a therapist, or case manager, to do. If you cannot work with the client, you are to make an appropriate referral for the ACA uh, code of ethics as well. So you can make mm-hmm. a referral to another, um, you can make it to a colleague, you can make mm-hmm. it to another agency. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you can make it to uh, another teacher or whatever, but you should make that referral because, as you said, you're you're wasting precious time because that client is coming to you in crisis.
2: Mm -hmm. And a lot
0: of times they don't have a lot of time. And if uh, the insurance is paying, usually the insurance may, the managed care may pay for uh, five, six, seven, or eight, or ten sessions. So you mm-hmm. have a lot of time to work with. So you got exactly. to get slow running. So you exactly. can waste time in one session um um and, and that client is paying for that session and the insurance is paying for that session. Well that's a lot of work and, and a lot of time that's being
1: wasted. Absolutely. And it's also our credibility that is on the line for all of us who are seriously um, you know, wanting this to be, you know, our livelihood and we seriously want the word to get out of you know how we can resolve individuals' dispute, and in your case right. um you know being a, a a mental health professional that that you know you can do the job at hand, you can you know hit the ground running and and deal with what has been put on the table for you, so to right. speak okay
0: right absolutely absolutely you know let me tell you one uh, about about one incident um. Uh, well, well, I'll, well, let me tell you one personal bias that I have. One personal bias um, is gang activity. Mm-hmm. Especially with everything that's going in Chicago. I know all around the country and everything, everybody's hearing about what, the violence and the shooting that, that's happening in Chicago. And and, and I've worked with gang members for over 20 years. I do have a personal bias against gang members. And I let them know. I let them know when, when I'm working with them, that I have a personal bias against their activity, not against them, but their activity. Now, now mm-hmm. if I can't work with that particular client, I will refer them to someone else.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: there, and, and I've had a case where a judge, and, you know, judges have, if you said everyone has biases, uh, one judge in particular, he had a personal bias against an agency that I was working for, and he refused mm-hmm. to send any more clients to that agency, with the mm-hmm. exception that if I took this client, I already had her sister uh, mm-hmm. on my caseload, the only reason the judge let that client come to the agency is I would take her sister on my caseload as well, because he knew he had a personal bias against his agency for the work that, it, that wasn't getting done, and he didn't want this client going somewhere or going to a worker work is not going to get done. She had Mm a year and a half before she was going to emancipate. So he said, Uh we have work that needs to be done. We don't have time. I'll send her to Mr. Campbell. I'll send it to this agency. Only if Mr. Uh Campbell can work with her. So he had a personal which which was good. And he went through all of the red tape to say, okay, we got work to do. Put her here. Work with him.
1: Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's a good thing, Reginald, when we are forthcoming in knowing what it is we can do and what it is that we cannot do. You know, being honest with ourselves, it starts first, doesn't it?
0: That's right. That's right. And it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, we can't be everything to everyone. We all have our personal skills. And it's okay to say, you know what, I can't handle this case. Or it's okay to get... um. Um, some help from, from a supervisor, having uh, a good mentor, because um, I have a, a, a mentor, and, and when I run into issues, I can always call him. I, you know, I talk about Bob. You hear me talk mm-hmm. about Bob all the time. And
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, he's my mentor, and if I have an issue, I can always call him, and I can, you know, throw this issue to him. Say, Bob, what do you think about this? How do you think I can handle this situation? You know?
1: Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm.
0: it's having that that, that person that you can bounce
1: things off of as as well. Exactly. Okay. Now, you know, I, we got a lot to talk about, so I'm going to jump into another segment question here. Okay. Okay. Now I can, okay. I can tell you Rachel that I have biases as well. Now you, you, you kind of touched on that previously Mm -hmm. or previously here. And, um, Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and if anyone has, uh, any, if anyone has been here on earth longer than three years, you have biases. Really? I can say, I say that because a child at three years old, <clears throat> excuse me, already know basically what they want and what they do not want, who they like and who they don't like. Okay. I have biases, you know, against those who mistreat people in general, but especially those who are children. And, and elderly. I have bias against bank robbers, for example. I can, I can listen to an array of mediations. Some of these mediations can include a couple of the aforementioned and more. Okay. As a mental health specialist, you as well have to check your biases at the door as you deal with a collection of individuals daily. What are some of the things you do that you can tell our listeners in order that they do not allow their biases to influence how they mediate these cases. And hold your thought, hold your thought, Reginald, because we are going <laughs> to uh, we're going to take a break. OK, right now, but we will return with that. Come back to us, listeners. This is really good. Do you know that bullying in the workplace and in our schools, whether it's grammar schools or high schools, is becoming more and more prevalent? This includes the rise of verbal abuse and physical abuse to our senior citizens. As a matter of fact, bullying is on the cusp of becoming a dominant occurrence in today's society. For example, CareerBuilder.com survey of 2012 noted that about 50% of all workplace bullying goes unreported. And NBC News reported that the bullying statistics for seniors in the year 2013 is on the rise in America. And the statistics for bullying-related incidences in our schools, well, unfortunately, it is on the rise. And if you find yourself being bullied in school or in the workplace and you need someone to find resolve for your differences with professionalism, fairness, impartiality, and given a platform to be heard, give me a call, professional mediator Teresa E. Keeves at 480-283-7270 or email me at Teresa at mediationtalkshow.expert.
0: You're listening to Put It All on the Table Through Mediation with Teresa E. Keeves.
1: Thank you for returning. Excuse me. Now, I would like to remind our listeners that if you have a question or comment for me or my guest, Reginald Campbell, please call in at 1-888-463-6748 or email me at Teresa at MediationTalkShow.expert. Now, before we took our break, I uh, did pose a question to Reginald, and that was, what are some of the things you do that you can tell our listeners in order that they do not allow their biases to influence how they mediate their cases?
0: You know, I had, excuse me, I had a colleague who taught me something one time. He said, you know, Reg, sometimes when I get a new case, I won't read the file first before I meet the client. He said, I'll meet the client, but I won't read the file first. I said, why is that? He said, so I won't have any bias. I found that very interesting. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Um, Usually you will read the file so you have information of what's going on, what the client Mm -hmm. is there for, what has transpired. Um, But that was his way of not being biased against the client. Uh, Mm -hmm. not my way, but I found that very interesting. And that that works for him. Yes. That works for him. So whatever Mm -hmm. we can do to check our biases at the door, that's what we do. That's what Mm -hmm. he did. It works for
1: Mm -hmm. him. Yeah, it worked for him. So I guess from his viewpoint, this way he won't have to worry about, um, let's say, sullying the the, the warders. He won't um, have made any preconceived judgment um against those that he's going to be talking with in in mediation or um in you know related to mental health or, or any of those things um yeah and I I agree with you everyone has their way and this this is what I'm saying that you know what i'm saying um on on the station and what you're saying is that you know we're we're having a discussion and we're we're um um uh, uh, you know educating people and and um and or uh, letting them know how we handle things but everyone yeah. is to come up with um the the manner in how they handle biases but the the whole commonality in this discussion is mm-hmm. that you must Be able to deal with your biases. Okay? Absolutely. Now. Absolutely. Now.
0: Okay.
1: okay. Now. As I am researching for the show, because you know I'm a researcher and I love to read and study and all this, I came Mm -hmm. across a couple of interesting articles and I want to uh, include them in our discussion. The first one, it was written in 2004 in mediation.com and the title of the article is the mediator's role tackling their illusion of objectivity. And it was written by Elizabeth Moreno. Now she says in part that mediators may argue that because they are not the ultimate decision makers in a mediation, they do not need to be aware or even recognize their own biases. However, in not, in not recognizing their own biases and acknowledging that they are susceptible to biases they are creating barriers to resolving conflict they strive to remove barriers in a mediation process but if they are not cognizant that they have biases and may be creating a barrier then the mediator will never become a true neutral do you agree with the statement
0: i i do agree with that, uh, to to a certain point.
1: But, okay.
0: But I think I have to go back to constantly watching your biases. As you, okay, let me use this as an example. If, you, if I have a client and I've been working with them for three or four months and I don't have any biases at that time, but as we develop a relationship, things can happen during that relationship, things that the client brings back to you for the sessions where well, you can develop bias. For example,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, if, if a client is uh, being um, beaten by her, just say her, her, her husband, okay? And, and you see all of the negative things that this husband is doing to the client. And you Uh really don't like that. You can develop a bias towards that person, towards towards the husband. Uh And so if you're doing um, family therapy and that person is there, the husband is there, the wife is there, they're sharing all of those things, you can develop a bias towards him. And so Mm -hmm. now he's not getting, the husband is not getting everything that you can give him because, okay, that bias is up there. Mm-hmm. You know, so with uh, family therapy, that's why you really have to be careful with your uh-huh. classes because now you have three or four other people in that room that are going uh-huh. to be sharing things that are going to be hitting personal buttons. You know, maybe that therapist um, had a similar relationship with her boyfriend. Maybe that uh-huh. therapist saw that growing up with, with, the, with their father. And so that can push those buttons,
1: that can push that bias button. So you have to be aware of that. Absolutely, absolutely. And I would, and I would like to also add that, um, you know, by constantly watching, you know, your bias, because you can unconsciously, let's say, join in with another party that you're supposed to be actually being unfair and unbiased in the whole situation right. you see and so right. how was how was that going to be um you know a, a fair to everybody that's there and including yourself if you don't right. you know if you are if you are able what i'm saying also is that if you are able to recognize your biases then you mm-hmm. will be able to recognize other people's biases you know that's right okay, that's okay. fantastic right. all right here's another question now you know, Reginald, dealing with biases can be so ingrained within us. All right? Yeah. You know that a lot of a lot of people will say they do not know they are being biased when it is brought to their attention, as this is related to what I said earlier of how more often than not biases are ta- are are told to us, they are taught to yeah. us, and shown to us starting when we are very young. So what I am getting at here, Reginald is something called Unconscious Biases. There is an article titled How to Overcome Unconscious and Hidden Bias from a site called wikihow.com. And I invite my listeners to go and pull this up. It's very interesting and it's very educational. Now, it has two parts to this article, understanding bias and working on the bias. Now, because of timing, we, of course, can't discuss all of the, you know, great information that was contained in this article. However, I would like for us to talk about the following. The understanding bias portion of this article states in part that we should consider various ways you can gain insight into your own bias. It states biases affect us all in ways we seldom fully recognize. Even when we have one we are aware of, And would like to deal with biases can be positive or negative aspects of human nature. They all influence how we act and interact with other people and events. People form their personal identity based on a wide scope of aspects, but one of the most pervasive, which is so important is bias. Now, Reginald, you are a professional in the mental health arena. Can you shed some light on what I just said to our listeners?
0: Yes, it is so important. And and I know I keep saying this and we keep saying this, but it's so important to recognize those biases. There are times when we're not even aware that we have a personal bias. I was speaking with um, a client once. This was two or three years ago. And, um, Actually, we were out having lunch, and we were near the court building. And the client said, oh, gosh, I can't stand police. I can't stand police. I said, why Why is it that you don't like policemen? Well, mm-hmm. he, he had been in a lot of trouble. So to him, mm-hmm. all policemen are bad. I mm-hmm. said, well, listen, you know, police do a lot of good work. Sure, you've you got this bias because of what you did. What you did something uh-huh. not right. The policeman was doing his or her police officer was doing his or her job. So you have this bias because you're now in the system, and every police officer that you see now you have a bias again. But every police mm-hmm. officer is not after you. Every police officer doesn't look at you like you're about to do something. So mm-hmm. actually, this young man became aware that personal bias after we mm-hmm. talk because um, he said, you know, Mr. Campbell, you're right. It seems like every police officer I see, I get nervous. I get, you know, kind of a kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So by changing your behavior, by doing more positive things and not having a negative relationship, a negative interaction with the police officer, if you start having some positive interaction with the police officers, you see that. Every police officer is in out against get you. Um, another thing mm-hmm. said about mm-hmm. biases how they can be uh, positive in our in our personal life. Uh, I've yes. always had a personal bias against um, drugs, cigarettes, alcohol. That, that was my personal bias. Why I didn't indulge in any of those things? And so that personal bias kept me on the right track of not even experimenting.
2: Mm-hmm. You know
0: what? I don't want to do this. This isn't good for me. I, you know, I, I can see the negative effect that smoking uh, can do to people. I can see the negative effect that alcohol do to people. So that personal bias kept me on the right track. Now, when I deal with clients who's working with substance abuse, alcohol abuse, I've got to check my personal bias at the door because mm-hmm. he or she is not me. They're not thinking like me. They haven't had my experience. So That's I right. can bring my bias of, you know what, I didn't try it, I didn't do it, you should have either. Well, I haven't walked in his or her shoes. And That's right. Meaning it's so important to meet the client where they are. So
2: uh-huh. again,
0: I have to check my personal biases when I work with my clients who are dealing with substance
1: Mhm. Absolutely. And now we have about two minutes before break. But I you know, but I want to say this is that um, when you know, when I started, you know, studying about biases, and I was, you know, I really got ingrained in this when I decided to be a professional mediator. And as I was reading, um, varying books and listening to varying professionals that, you know, about positive biases. Now I will be upfront and say that at that point, I didn't really give a lot of thought to the fact of that some biases can be positive. You, you understand what I'm saying? Sure. That, that yeah, we, right. yeah, that we do have some positive biases. Like we are, you know, I am, I am positively you know, biased to the fact of continuum education, you know, um, that could be one. I am positively, positively biased to the fact of making sure I stay healthy and do the right thing all the time. So those things like that can be positive biases. But we're going to we're going to we're going to take a break right here and then we'll be right back with Reginald Campbell. Come back again. Do you have disagreements with your landlord regarding your home or apartment that you are renting? Or have you fallen behind in your HOA payments and you cannot reason with the HOA Association for resolution of your issues? I can assist you. My name is Teresa E. Keys. I am an independent professional mediator. Give me a call at 480-283-7270. You do not have to litigate your disagreements. They can be professionally mediated. The process of professional mediation is an effective, efficient, timely, and less costly method for resolving your disputes. Give me a call today at 480-283-7270. And you can also email me at Teresa at expert.
0: Welcome back to Put It All on the Table Through Mediation. Here again, Teresa E. Keeves.
1: Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for returning I have a, a very good, um, discussion here with my guest, Reginald Cedric Campbell. He, um, is a, uh, supervisor, uh, at a Brexis, at a Braxis rather, GEO group there in, in Illinois, and he is a professional mental health specialist. Now, uh, we're running out of time, but you know, I, I have to have one more question that I'm going to ask you. Okay. okay. Now.
2: Okay.
1: Do you think that Teaching police officers about sensitivity issues and biases at the minimum of, you know, once a year, okay, will help with what is going on in our, in our country today. You know, there's um, a lot of talk about, um you know a lot of, of of course people are are offering their their comments and and concerns and their opinions about what's going on in in our country today and as you know we're baby boomers we have experienced this already yeah. you know on a grand deal right. scale you know we were young children when this country was blowing up with, with crazy negativity we we you know we unfortunately witnessed one of our most profound leaders, President Jack Kennedy assassinated, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, President Kennedy's brother, uh, being assassinated, uh, Malcolm X. I mean, this has all happened in our lifetime. And the hope right. was in which I always has have hope, which is one of the things that I love about our president. He has hope. I always hope that we as a collective of human beings, you know, would start getting better from that. But it seems that as of late, it, it started to rear its head again. And as going back to my question, I know I kind of got off there, but going back to my question, um, I know that a lot of people are saying that, um, you know, police officers need to be, you know, brought in for um, training on sensitivity issues and bias. Do you think that would um, be help? You know that that would be of any type of help, you know, with the situations that's going on now.
0: I I certainly do 100%. Just as um, I have to have constant training, you have to have constant training. A police officers should as well, because let's face it, they bring their personal biases from uh, childhood, from adulthood, or whatever, and so that sensitivity training needs to needs to be there. And by uh, being uh, say, in a rough area, they've been an officer for five six, eight or ten years. There's some hardening there. You know, you can't help but have some combat hardening of uh, a lot of things that the officers have seen. And so, I think mm-hmm. that would be a great help uh, to constantly have uh, sensitivity training because everyone that an officer confronts is not a, is, is not a criminal. He's not a drug dealer. He's not, you know, something, something negative. Uh, some, some of our best kids, unfortunately, um, you know, wear their pants hanging around their, around their waist. And so a good kid walking home from school, you know, he can be, um, you know, the police officer's bias. Oh, it's right there. You know, he sees his kid. He doesn't have any idea of what this kid is doing, how he is, but his personal mm-hmm. bias is already, boom, they're there. Is training is mm-hmm. is an important part and, and as we stated all through the program it's something that needs to be ongoing we have to check our biases 24-7 it's not one of those things Absolutely. This, this, this client we ended up working together but our first mm-hmm. meeting was pretty traumatic. It was uh-huh. pretty traumatic. She screamed, she yelled, she called me names, she said why she didn't want to be with me and all of those things. And mm-hmm. we were we worked through that. It came from mm-hmm. listen, you need to come and see me once a week to you know, can you go home now because I have stuff that I have to do? <laughs> you know, but mm-hmm. I had to meet her where she is. I had to yes. make her understand, like this is why she feels this way. I can't take this personal. Exactly. I can't take this personal. I have to meet this young lady where she is. So, so we're going to run into those personal, uh, to those biases for clients. Uh, when I was doing some therapy earlier this year uh, in school, uh, three clients wanted male work. So I was given three cases because of that. They specifically wanted a male worker. A female wanted a male worker. Um, Mm -hmm. Then one person wanted a male worker for her son. So
2: you know Uh they have
0: the personal bias where this is this is what they want, and that's okay. Again, we all have those personal biases.
1: Exactly, and some of them are, you know, some of them are are more extreme than others, uh, to say the least. But that's a whole nother different program, you know. But you know, yeah. um, uh, for me, um, I have about five minutes left here. But for me, um, it, you know, in my profession, I absolutely love calling something that's caucus because in this, in this portion of the mediation process, I can talk to individuals and, and deal with them and their personal biases. <clears throat> Excuse me. Cause as I said, n- you know, one thing is that with, you know, that any, and, and I'm, and my peers out there can, can attest to this. We don't want, um, anything to derail the process of mediation. We want our disputants to come to an amicable resolution, you know, but <laughs> I must say, Reginald, that this was a great discussion. I absolutely loved, loved, loved it. I will have you back on my show. I will have you back on my show. Can
0: I, can I come back? Because there's so much other stuff that we can talk about. Because there is that close um, a relationship with what you do and what I do. There, there was a lot of differences, but there's that close relationship as well. You know, so oh, I would
1: like to absolutely. More that would be great. That would be great. So, Absolutely. So I have time for one quick, one, one quick okay. Well, you thank know. you, Reginald. I would like to, uh, yeah, thank you for joining me. Uh, uh, uh Nope, you're going to have to save that for the next time because I got about okay, three I'm minutes saving. for real. Okay? Because I want I to tell my listeners how to contact you. I want them to be able to get in contact with you if they uh, need you for services or they want to talk with you about anything that you said on this program. You can contact Reginald at reg. R-E-G Campbell, just like the soup, 53 at yahoo.com, or you could give him a call at 480-309-7374. I'll repeat that again. Reg Campbell, 53 at yahoo.com, or give him a call at 480-309-7374. Once again, thank you, Reginald, and have a blessed day. You know that... The continuum of education and learning is a wonderful thing. I so appreciate my guest, Reginald Campbell. I felt he was very articulate, insightful, and knowledgeable in his comments for my show and for my listeners out there. Wow, discussing biases is a good thing. I hope that you listening out there enjoyed this discussion and gained more insight and knowledge on this subject that I realize can be a sensitive one. But nevertheless, it needs to be discussed particularly with what's happening in our country today because I feel that one way of growing and developing my profession is to employ varying things to help me to be the best that I know that I can be, which is to be on point individually and be an open-minded individual, and then it will transfer to my work as a professional mediator. For those who hire me, it is vital for me to keep myself in check. Not only to tell others to be sure to dot their I's and cross their T's before leaving their home every day, but to make sure it starts with me first and foremost. As I have to say, I'm sorry, as I've said to you on the show before, you cannot give somebody something you don't have. In closing, I would like to say to you to be kind and considerate to yourself and others. And this is Teresa E. Keeves. Thank you for listening. And we'll talk next week.